I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Good evening, and welcome once again uh, to our listeners across the United States and around the world. We're so happy, Gary and I are both so happy that you're able to join us this evening for another episode of Incredible Stories. Uh, This evening, we're going to be talking about a gentleman who uh, was an American author and a journalist. He wrote more than 50 books dedicated to and dealing with topics such as folklore and wordplay, and many of these were intended for young readers. His name was Alvin Schwartz. Uh, He was born back in 1927, and he died in 1992. Now, I must uh, caution you that it's not the same Dr. Alvin Schwartz who recently died and wrote Superman. Um, This is Alvin Schwartz, not Dr. Alvin Schwartz, who will be, who we will uh, be talking about uh, this evening. So, Gary, you're the one who brought Alvin Schwartz to my attention in the first place. Why do you think he was so incredible? Well, I think for anybody who's listening who knows who uh, Alvin Schwartz is, because they read the scary stories to tell in the dark books, um, they probably. Uh, have their own memories of what made those books very special to them um, and may or may not know the history behind those books and that they were incredibly controversial and uh, were banned in many schools. Yes, uh, you know, that's uh, that's an interesting thing um, because I've looked over some of the stories that you've recommended, especially from his book, Scary Stories. And I have to tell you, uh, Gary, (laughs) they're really not scary at all. Uh, I mean, if they had to stand alone, uh, you'd say, what? This is a best-selling children's uh, scary story book? Uh, And and so many of them rely on uh, a storyteller with a live audience trying to elicit some kind of reaction from the audience. Let, let me give you an example. He wrote a story called The Walk. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, yes. I know about The Walk. And and so all it is, it's uh, about one page. Yes. And these two people walking down a lonely dirt road, of course, at nighttime. You know, that's when it's spookiest. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to the storyteller, one of the people was his uncle and the other was uh, somebody who knows who. And uh, all Alvin Schwartz... Um, kept saying throughout the story was the man was really scared of my uncle and my uncle was really scared of that man. That's it. That's the substance of this scary story. Somehow or other, I'm not getting goosebumps or chills, but here's how it ends. Once he says that for the third or fourth time, it says in parentheses, now scream. So the storyteller who lets out a blood curdling scream after getting uh, the undivided attention of a a children audience, a child audience, uh, you know, it'll take them off the seat of the chair. But uh, the story itself, if you're reading it, it's just not there as far as being scary. And you know what, I would agree with you on that. But 
the the way the book is structured, if you read the whole book, and uh, he did three of them, uh, he sets it up in different categories. So you have the group storyteller stories, like the one that you read. Then there are the short ghost stories. And then you have the funny ghost stories. And in some spots, they even have true ghost stories. So the way he structured the book was is, is very interesting because it does give you a lot of different variety in there. But that's not the reason why the book was banned in a lot of school libraries and even public libraries. That's not the reason at all. Now, the book that you're reading from is the reprint of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which got a lot of heat from people because they didn't want that. They didn't want a rewrite of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark because it didn't have the illustrations that the original book had. Now, I'm not sure who did the illustrations in that one. Maybe you could read that off the title. Brett Helquist. And uh, yes, they're very, very tame illustrations. Right. And those original um, illustrations by Stephen Gamel, oh boy, they're works of art. That, I think, is really what put him over the top as a really best-selling author. Oh, you have, you have no idea. The, the main reason, I think, not just because the stories, some of the stories are really good, um, but the artwork was so uh, fascinating, and it drew you into the book because you wanted to see what was on the next page. You wanted to see what the illustration was going to be, and that informs the story itself, too. It, that, that sets up what the story could look like. When you see those illustrations, and then you start reading the stories, that's where it makes a difference because these illustrations are so macabre. The the ink and pencil drawings that were done have an unsettling, unearthly feel to them and are so unique and original. They really are beautiful gothic pieces of artwork. In fact, there's one story in there, I believe it's called The Little Black Dog. And when you see the picture of The Little Black Dog, the dog has mange. There's bits and pieces of it that are rotting off. And one of its legs is a human arm with a human hand. And it makes no sense as to how that could be with this little dog. But it's in the image, and you can't unsee that image. So when you start reading the story of the little black dog, uh, who appears as a ghost to this person who did something wrong, uh, and it's a vengeful spirit, then you, you, you have that in your imagination already, and now you're reading the story, so your imagination and the story are working together, and it just creates this kind of, oh, just creepy <laughs> setting for the story. Yeah. Th those two <clears throat> things blend together. So uh, looking at the new reprint that was done versus the original one, all of it seems very tame together. It's, it's that combination tame. of the two. But I, I do remember um, uh, looking for the books, in, in the library. And if you could find one, if they weren't all checked out, then you would have a wonderful treat to look through and just be chilled to the bone. So we might um, just remind our listeners, if you're interested in actually seeing what we're talking about this evening, uh, the book is called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and Make Sure that You Get the Original Version with Illustrations by Stephen Gamel. Stephen Gamel. Those illustrations have been described by critics as gruesome and nightmarish. And here's what 
Alvin Schwartz recommended uh, as to the best time to read these stories with the oh, do tell. illustrations. Do tell. Quote, this is from Alvin Schwartz's lips. The best time to tell these stories is at night, in the dark, in the gloom. It is easy for someone to imagine all sorts of strange and scary things. Mm -hmm. such as a human arm coming out of a mangy dog, right, Gary? Exactly, exactly. Um, you, you know, uh, some of what he took uh, from other authors to put in his own book, because that's what Alvin Schwartz did. And we're going to go into a little bit of the history of Alvin Schwartz. But Alvin Schwartz was a collector of stories. So all of the stories that he have that he has in his books are collected from folk tales, urban legends, and things like that or accounts that were published in newspapers or other uh, written media. and uh, But one of the things that you noticed in the beginning, where it's, it's directing the person who's reading the story as to what to do, uh, comes from Mark Twain. One of Mark Twain's favorite stories to tell when he would do live uh, storytelling is The Golden Arm. And in uh, the book done by Alvin Schwartz, he does The Big Toe. That's his own spin on it. So he didn't copy uh, The Golden Arm, which is a, a folktale that goes back many, many, many years, even before Mark Twain. He did his own version of it, but instead of a golden arm, it was a toe. Anyways, Mark Twain said that when you tell the story, you should do it in a way that it builds the tension, getting closer and closer, deepening the voice, getting softer and lower, getting more intense, having these moments of pause. And then Mark Twain said to find the most scared person in the audience. That teenage girl who's trembling because she's really buying into it. And then that's when you go, Rawr! to just make them jump out of their seat. And then that reaction reverberates like a, like a wave, like a ripple in the a pond when you throw a rock in. And then everybody else experiences it too. And that's what makes it fun. It's that, that ability to be a storyteller. And Alvin Schwartz uh, gives that to his readers so that when you know most of these books were read at sleepovers or at Halloween time, things like that, or friends who get together on a rainy day. So he's, he's giving them the ability to become a storyteller. So it's more than just a book of great stories. It's also teaching somebody how to be a storyteller, an effective storyteller. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, illustrated by Stephen Gamel, uh, written by Alvin Schwartz. Uh, we can't recommend that enough. Now, mm. uh, <clears throat> some of his other books, Gary, uh, such as When I Grew Up Long Ago, Yep, that's actually true stories. Yeah, they were aimed at an older audience, and what they did was they presented glimpses of life in the United States during the late 19th and, and early uh, 20th century. So uh, that's uh, something that we might uh, encourage uh, our adult readers to uh, look up if they would like to uh, sample Alvin Schwartz's writing style. Um Alvin also said something else, Gary, that goes along with what you were mentioning about uh, Mark Twain. And, and I'm going to use his words again. I love uh, these. These words are actually published in his uh, Scary Stories book. Telling scary stories is something people have done for thousands of years. Absolutely. For most of us, like being scared. 
Since there's no danger, we think it is fun. I think he really nailed it. Well, one of the the goals, believe it or not, with his book was to help children face their fears in a safe way. And that's what it does. He really um, was very protective of his book and his stories and, and justified that it's important that you be able to face the things that you're afraid of to build up that courage. And what better way to do it than through a book, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, going back to the history of that, those stories, there were three books that were done. It was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and Stories to Chill You to the Bone. And uh, all three of those books were the ones that were, were banned for a long time, but there was such a great protest um, to keep those books available. Kids loved them. It was more the parents that didn't want them because they felt it was too much for their kids. And uh, the justification of that these are great literary pieces and they're part of American uh, folklore and tradition of, of passing down, it's important. But, uh, but Schwartz was right in saying that, uh, that that's been a part of our culture since the beginning of man. Right. I mean, when you think about it, the earliest form of storytelling, we, I think we said this when we did our first episode, the first form of entertainment was storytelling. Before we had TV, before we had phones or, or any digital devices uh, or even movie theaters, people sat around a fire and they told stories. They told stories about hunts that they went on. They told ghost stories. They told uh, about romantic adventures that that's part of the original way that we entertained ourselves. And I'll tell you this right now, even today, because I do uh, campfire stories when I'm doing the summer camp program, I have all of my campers, we have a certain day, we get together and they sit down and I tell them a story. And I can tell you that when I have uh, 63 or 80 some odd kids sitting there and I'm telling them a story, if I'm doing it well, I have their attention 110%. And they can forget about everything else that's happening around them, and they will get into that story and be so vested in it that they just they can't turn away. And it, it's been such a, a tradition with that group of kids that some of them that have been at that camp for six or seven years, you know, they, they look for it every summer. They look forward to doing that. That's their favorite part of the day. And as Alvin Schwartz said, since there's no danger, we think it is fun. That it is. And uh, I I just want to clarify one point that we made, too. Uh, His books were never banned. Uh, They were most frequently challenged for library inclusion in the schools. And this was basically between 1990 and 1999. So, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, people were a little reluctant to include his books in school libraries. Mm-hmm. But. And they are scholastic. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at the back of that, that's a scholastic book. And scholastic oh, supplies yeah. all the book fairs and all sure, that kind of stuff. Sure. So, so uh, fantastic, fantastic contribution to uh, literature. And I understand that uh, you have uh, one of his short stories that you'd like to share with us this evening. Oh, yes. Well, here, and here's the other thing. So I'm, I'll tell you the story, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the background. The great thing about Alvin Schwartz, if you go back, into the very back of his books. Uh, he has a whole section where he talks about where the stories came from, uh, where he, he collected them from, 
and and how he adapted it, uh, and so on and so forth. So I'll I'll read to you. Um, well, I'll recite to you uh, one of my favorite stories that he did, and then I'll tell you where he got the inspiration from. The story is called High Beams. So the story is about this teenage girl who has gone to a basketball game at her high school. The game goes a little bit long, and so the girl gets out a little bit later than she had planned. And by the time she gets out of the gym and heads to her car, it's now nighttime. And so she climbs in her car, and she pulls out of the school parking lot, and she's heading down the road. Now, coming down the road behind her is a pickup truck. And it begins to start flashing its high beams. Now, when the girl turns around to look, not really sure why this man has turned on his high beams, all of a sudden he turns them off. So she thinks nothing of it, and she continues driving down the road, but it's not too much longer before those high beams turn on again. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been driving down the road late at night and had somebody turn on their high beams, but those high beams, when they reflect in the rearview mirror, it's almost blinding to the driver. It's, it's hard to see because it's reflecting in your eyes. So it happens again, and it, she turns around, and once again, the driver shuts off his high beams. She's starting to get a little bit nervous, so she turns to go down uh, her road where her house is. And coincidentally, or maybe not, the truck also turns and follows her car down the road where her house lives. The girl is now getting very scared. She pulls into the driveway of her house. And as she's getting out of the car, the truck that was following her has now pulled in behind her car. The girl frantically runs into the house and shuts the door and locks it. Her father, who is sitting on the couch, sees the girl, terrified, and, and runs over and says, what's going on, honey? What's wrong? Did something happen? And the girl tells her father that there was this truck and he kept turning on his high beams and, it, and followed me. He, he's in the, the front driveway. I, I, I don't know why. So the father goes to the window the girl follows behind him, and they see the truck driver. He's sitting in his car, staring at the girl's car parked in front of him. So the, the father goes over to the phone. He calls the police, and the police show up. And they go over, guns drawn, to the pickup truck, and they're talking to the man. And he says something to them, and he starts pointing. And then all of a sudden, the police turn and point their gun at the girl's car and start shouting out commands. The girl and her father are horribly confused. What is going on? And then all of a sudden, they see the door to the back of the girl's car open up. And out of the back seat of the car comes a man. And in his hand is a large hunting knife. The police arrest the man and put him in the back seat of the patrol car and take off. And then it becomes clear to the girl 
as to what had actually happened. She goes outside to thank the driver of the truck, and he says, I understand you were scared. But when I saw you leaving the parking lot, I had already seen a man getting into your car. I tried to call out to you, but you didn't hear me. So I followed you home. When I saw him come up from the back seat, seeming like he was going to try and overtake you while you were driving, I turned on my high beams, and that would make him go back down and hide so you couldn't see him. I followed you home to make sure that you would stay safe. So that's the story of high beams. Now, if I remember correctly, in the back of the book, the inspiration for this story comes from another story that was told, uh, or that was in a newspaper, I believe in California. This woman had gone to a gas station to fill up her car. While she was filling up the car, she decided she was going to go in and get some snacks and then pay for her gas. She did all of this, and as she was getting ready to leave the gas station, it was either the gas attendant or somebody who came into the store, grabbed her by the arm and told her to, to not uh, go out. And she's screaming, let me go, let me go, let me go. And uh, the guy says, you shouldn't get in your car. Somebody just climbed in the back seat. It looks like they have a gun. And so they called the police and the result was the same. But this story from a newspaper is what uh, inspired the story for Alvin Schwartz's book. That is quite interesting. And of course, <clears throat> you know, uh, some of the best stories uh, are inspired by true life events. Oh, absolutely. You really can't, uh, can't beat them. Well, um, I think, Gary, um, we have the big Alvin Schwartz story that you're going to be presenting, complete with sound effects to oh, be yes. told in the dark, in the gloom, mm -hmm. next week. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. But uh, the plan is I, I'm going to base a story off of The Big Toe. Now, The Big Toe is the one that's in Alvin Schwartz's book. But like I said before, uh, The Big Toe is based off The Golden Arm, and uh, which is a classic folktale that goes all the way back to the Revolution. It's that old. Hmm. And uh, so Alvin Schwartz puts his spin on it by saying that it's a large toe and it leads you to believe that Maybe it was a toe of a corpse or something, and it comes back looking for it. <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to do my own spin on that. But uh, I will be doing sound effects for that. So we're going to make it interesting. I'm going to try and do what's called 3D audio. So we're going to give that a shot. So when you listen next week, if uh, you're listening to it uh, on your phone or tablet or whatever, you might want to wear some headphones. Uh, because we're going to try and make it feel like you are right there with the characters in the story to really add a little bit more to to make this a little bit more exciting and creepy, especially since uh, it's that time of the year when, like you said, it's kind of fun to be scared. Mm -hmm. And remember, since there is no danger, we think that it's fun. Oh, it's fun, all right. It is a lot of fun. <laughs> well, it's that time, boys and ghouls. All right. I'm Richard. I'm Gary. And this was an incredible story. 